it's another question I get, uh, and that's, hey, Brian, what, what are we doing in Turkey? Like, what's going on over there, and how can we be a part of that? And, and so I wanted to let you know there's a few things that we're doing in a way that you can participate. Uh, because of your already faithful giving, we've already sent $10,000 towards Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse is a... Samaritan's Purse is a great ministry. They're boots on the ground. They're setting up hospitals. They're setting up kitchens. They're setting up sanitation areas. So Samaritan's Purse is already there. Uh, if you would like to uh, contribute even more to that, you can just give to the Benevolence Fund uh, and just use the offering envelopes or go online and just put it in Benevolence. Over the next couple of weeks, whatever goes to our Benevolence Fund will go directly to Samaritan's Purse. Uh, and the ministry there. Well, we also have two of our church members who are there uh, through the LA County Search and Rescue Team, and they're, and they're there, and I'm in uh, connection with one of them, and they covet your prayers. Um, and we also have two ministry partners in the area, and I recently got a, uh, an email. I wanted to share that because she gave four prayer requests, and I thought we could have a time of prayer. She said this, Please continue to pray for miraculous rescues. I don't know if you've been watching some of those uh, online. Please continue to pray for those. She said, more violence is breaking out as grief and desperation grow. So will you please ask God to hold back this violence so rescue work would not be hindered? Third, she said, pray for the safety and success of our teams working in the region. Uh, may they be a life-saving presence uh, she's actually gave an example of someone who reached out to their team specifically saying that aid can't reach uh, the region that this person's in. And, uh, and so they're trying to get to them directly. And then she said, pray for massive wisdom from God as we look to our next steps. This region will be in crisis for a very long time. May God show us the long path forward so that these people will not be forgotten, but will instead see Jesus and his compassion. So I wanted to take a moment before we continue. Let's pray. Let's pray for the people who are in Turkey. Let's pray for the moms, the dads, the grandparents, the children, everyone who is in angst and worry even today. Let's pray for the rescue workers. Let's pray for the Christians in the area that God might empower them to not only be a miraculous source of healing, but that they'd also be used to be a miraculous reflection of who Jesus is. I ask you to just pray on your own for just a moment and then I'll close this in a second. God, many of us in here believe in your power. God, we believe that you created everything with your spoken word. You are God who, who can split a body of water. You're a God who can rain food from heaven. You're a God who can have water flow from rocks. You are a God who displays mercy, who resurrects the dead. You're a God with no limits. And so God, we come before you today and pray for peace in that region. God, we pray for the believers in that region, God, that they might be a reflection of your glory, God, that they would have a peace that's beyond human comprehension as they minister to others. God, for our members who are over there, as part of the search and rescue team and an ongoing ministry, God, we pray that you give them strength, courage, protection as they serve others and serve you. And God, we pray for the government leaders in, that, in those regions. God, that you might not only open their eyes, that they might hear and see your wisdom and see the steps that you would have them to take. But God, may they see you in the midst of this as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As I get more information, I'll continue to post that on our uh, Friends of CVCC Facebook page. So just another reminder, you can join that as well if you're not on that. Well, we've been uh, hearing a lot about tragedies around the globe. Um, We had storms in our area, right? They're saying are generational storms. And, and for whatever reason, I think because of those, I've been getting articles in my social media feed about famous storms. Anyone else getting those? I'm just flipping through and I'm reading about these famous storms. Here's one. There was a, I read an article about a storm that swept through Missouri. My grandma came from Missouri. She said, you always call it Missouri. So if you want to make friends with people who are in Missouri, say Missouri. I read an article about a storm, a storm that swept through Missouri in 1925, where a typical tornado can travel around 500 to 2,000 feet, and they travel about a speed of 30 miles an hour. This storm traveled six miles and reached speeds of 73 miles per hour, registered at 36 times larger than the regular storm, and the footprint covered miles. I also read another article about a storm that happened in our lifetime, Hurricane Katrina. Happened in 2005. It was a Category 5 hurricane with wind surpassing 155 miles per hour and boasted waves that were 30 feet high. At one point, roughly 80% of Louisiana or New Orleans was underwater, and damages of that storm estimated to have run over $200 billion. I was going through those storms, those famous storms in our time, I was then decided to remember some of the famous storms in Bible times. There's a number of famous storms in Scripture. I mean, there's, uh, there's Noah, that famous storm, where the world was spinning out of control and wickedness and evil, and so God decided to just wipe it out with an epic storm that has never been seen since. Flooded everything, started new, and yet God was faithful to Noah and his family, protecting him through it. There's Jonah. Remember that story? Jonah was a prophet called to Nineveh to go preach the mercy of God. Jonah didn't want to do it, went in the other direction, hopped on a boat, went the opposite direction, and God sent a storm. The storm is actually so bad, the sailors decided to uh, cast lots to try to figure out who God was mad at. Ended up on Jonah. Jonah's like, yeah, that's me. Throw me overboard. That'll appease God. They did. He got swallowed by a fish, vomited up on the, on the beach, and he went to Nineveh. There was another storm that caught my attention. I want to ask you to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 8. I know there's some of you overachievers who are already in Acts chapter 27. I assure you we will go back to that. So just put your thumb there. Don't panic. But join me a minute in Matthew chapter 8. It's another famous storm I want to share with you and share a question that came to my mind. Matthew chapter 8, starting verse 23. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, first of four Gospels. Jesus was with his disciples. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 says this, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, surprise, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. Verse 25, they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? He got up, rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I mean, it's it's an epic storm where the waves were crashing over the boat and the disciples panic. But I think what caught my attention more was Jesus' response Jesus seemed to expect them to not be panicking in the midst of the storm. He said this, why are you afraid? Hey, I'm here. I know, it's a big storm. I'm right here. 
Why are you afraid? Oh, men of little faith. As if Jesus was expecting them to have a different mindset in the midst of the storm. I don't know about you, I haven't been in the midst of a lot of storms. I can't afford cruises. A lot of times that's why I choose to stay in kooky Californias because I don't want to endure tornadoes, blizzards. I'd rather risk earthquakes here. But these generational storms happen and my backyard flooded a little bit to where I could drive my remote control boat around a portion of my yard. (laughs) So I haven't been a part of epic storms, but I've had storms in my life. There's been times where the waves of fear, I feel are just gonna consume me. Or I feel like these torrential winds of pressure are just gonna destroy me. And where the weight of sin is gonna drown me. When I'm in the midst of the storms of my life, I panic, just like these disciples. How about you? As I was reading that story this week, I was reading about storms, I was wondering, what does Jesus desire of us? What does he expect and how should we do it? Who can we model our life after? When we're in the midst of those storms in our life, how can we respond as people of faith? How can we do it better than those disciples How can we weather the storms in our life in confidence at the end, Jesus would say, well done. That's what I love about our next section of Acts. We're getting near the end of the story or the end of the book of Acts. We're picking it up in Acts chapter 27. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to share it with you. So I think Acts 27 gives us a model of a faithful man in the midst of a storm. But this man doesn't panic. This man weathers it. And he doesn't just survive it. He thrives in the midst of it. Perhaps Paul's model for us might give you some encouragement, some steps to apply in your life. Join me in Acts chapter 27. As you're turning there, let me catch you up on the context. Paul has already weathered, pun intended, over two years of of false accusations and kooky imprisonments and corruption in government. He has endured all of it. And through all of these crazy trials, Paul has always remained ready to share his faith, to tell his story, to give a testimony of who Jesus is. But finally, even Paul's had enough. And so he exercised his Roman citizenship and appealed to Caesar. He decided to get out of the corrupt provincial government and go straight to the government of Caesar, where Caesar's court will try him. And that's where we pick up the story, Acts chapter 27, where Paul begins his journey to Rome. And we'd like to expect that maybe God would give Paul a break here, right? It's been a hard two plus years. Maybe what Paul needs is a Mediterranean cruise. Nice relaxing boat ride to Rome. If anyone deserves that, it would be Paul. Let's look how it started. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would uh, sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in an Adramitian ship which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, And the next day we put in to Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Now we begin this section thinking, oh my gosh, maybe God is going to give Paul a break. And we see a few things in this section already. Hey, Paul is on a prison ship going to his trial, but he's able to bring friends. 
Most believe that Luke is present because he says we in there. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, Paul's personal physician. I believe every pastor, every missionary should have a personal physician. I think that's a great idea. But we also see this, look at verse 3. It says, the next day we put in a Sidon and Julius treated Paul with consideration. That term consideration, term is, a Greek term is philanthropos. It's where we get our English word philanthropy. It means Paul was shown great kindness and generosity during his trip. Right there at the very beginning, the Roman centurion, this hardened, I mean, at this time, there was no battered dude on earth than a Roman centurion. I mean, these guys were known for their meanness and their crassness, crassness, but yet on this ship, somehow Paul's found favor with this Roman centurion. He's not only allowed to bring his buddies, Luke, Aristarchus, but he's shown consideration, shown great kindness. He's actually allowed to leave the vessel and go hang out with friends while they're at port. We begin to think maybe things are going to go okay for Paul. It's about time. If anyone deserves it, it would be Paul. But then we keep reading, verse 4. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra and Lycia. There's a centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmon, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was near the city of Lycia. So just in those few sections, now there's five words in there that would start telling us there's difficulty, there's trials, there's hindrance, there's, there's slowness. I begin to think, okay, well, maybe this trip isn't going to be so good after all. But we keep reading. Verse 9, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them, teach them, warn them, and said to them, men, I perceive the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. I mean, the apostle Paul is now concerned when was the last time you heard the Apostle Paul concerned? Yeah, never. And Paul's like, I don't know if I want to go out there. I mean, Paul went into riots. So he's knowing this is a bad situation and we're expecting the, everyone to listen. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. Verse 11, there's a big biblical but right there, but... Just when you think people are going to listen to Paul, I mean, it's Paul, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there... So when a moderate south wind came up, supposing they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. Let's hit pause there. Here's what happens. There's this one harbor, and Paul says, hey, it's, it's hurricane season. I think we should just wait here. If we go out in hurricane season, we're dead. Big biblical butt. Captain says, no, the captain wants to sail. Of course, the captain wants to sail. He wants to make his money. So the Roman centurion, the guy who's in charge, sides with the captain. And as we're reading this, we already sudden have, all of a sudden have this angst in our heart, like, oh, no. I mean, you know, when the apostle Paul says something, it's a big deal. You start to get this feeling that things are going to go very wrong very quickly. That's where we pick up the story, verse 14. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uraquilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. I mean, you know the storm's bad when it has a name. In the name of this storm, it's a known seasonal storm. It's like a huge hurricane. Like we knew it was going to happen. 
and it was caught up in it. Verse 15, they couldn't face it. And so it says this, we gave way to it. That phrase gave way to it. It means they surrendered to the storm. They gave up. They were powerless to resist and they just let it do its thing. Have you ever felt like that in life? Like the pressure's too great, I'm done. Maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's something going on in culture. Oh, it's kooky California. Forget it. We're just going to go with it. Maybe it's your home, your marriage, your finances, your relationships. Whatever happened, it's just gotten too big, too heavy, too powerful. You can't withstand it. You can't stand against it. You just throw up your hands and give up. Because that's what's happening to this entire ship. Keep going, verse 16. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we're scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis. They let down the sea anchor and in the way let themselves be driven along. The next day as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison cargo and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard in their own hands or with their own hands. Verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, like they had no idea where they were. And no small storm was assailing us. From then on, look at this, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. I mean, they're driven along by the storm. They threw out all of their tackle. They can't, they don't know where they are because there's no GPS. Waze, Google Maps, they're all down. And they're just being driven by the storm. This is they're gradually giving up hope. What do you do in that situation? My marriage is over. There's no talking to him. You just throw up your hands, I'm done. Maybe it's with the child. Man, I've talked to him more than once. He's rebellious. He won't listen. He won't change. He's too lost. He's too broken. Maybe you look at culture. It's like, ah, it's kooky California. I can't wait to go to godly Texas. Where it's just like, it's too bad. We can't win. Their God won't work. We just throw up our home, our hands, and we're done. Have you ever been in that spot? Because I think that's where the lessons of this passage start. When everyone else is hopeless, when everyone else is just given up and ready to die, I want you to look at Paul. See, if I was Paul, the first thing I would do is give a good I told you so. Back in the harbor, I told you all this was going to happen, and you didn't listen. Let me show you what Paul did. Look at verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred his damage and loss. I love it because Paul, first thing he does, I told you. Paul couldn't help himself. But then he kept going, verse 22. Yet now I urge you, look, you should have listened to me. You didn't. Now we're all threatened with death. However, now I urge you, keep up your courage. A term, keep up your courage, a phrase, mean, a phrase means be cheerful, relax, everything's going to be fine. Waves crashing over the boat. They think they're going to die. They have no idea where they are. Paul, Paul's just sitting there like, relax. It's going to be fine. Don't worry, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of, only of the ship. 
Verse 23, for this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong, whom I serve, stood before me. He said this, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, surprise, right? That term behold, surprise. This isn't what you're expecting. You need to stand before Caesar. Behold, surprise, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. First thing Paul says, hey, relax. I know everything looks horrible. I know every, every rational thought is we're going to die. Relax. God's got it. He said, not only am I going to be safe, but y'all are going to be safe too. So relax. Look what he says, verse 25. This is what God told me, verse 35. Therefore, because what God told me, keep up your courage, men. For I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run around on a certain island. Run aground on a certain island. First lesson I learned from this. Man, you want to make it through the storms of your life? You want to do more than just survive them. You want to thrive in the midst of them? First lesson is you got to trust the promises of God. First lesson, because there's going to be times where everything around you looks like you're going to die. The waves are crashing over your life. The winds are pummeling your soul. The, the pressures of life are pushing you under. And you're going to be ready to throw up your hands and quit. First thing Paul tells us, trust the promises of God. Paul says, hey, God says it's going to work out. They're going to work out. Where do you need to trust the promises of God? Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You're going through a time of life where you feel alone and abandoned. You're going to want to panic. But Paul says, trust the promises of God. Believe in God. I was reminded of this psalm or a proverb I learned as a child. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. And trust the promises of God. God says that he's in control of politics, God's in control of vengeance, God's in control of justice. God says, let me handle all of those. And sometimes in the midst of our life, we're like, it doesn't look like God, you're handling it. You want to weather the storms of life. You want to do more than survive them. You want to thrive in the midst of them. First thing, remember the promises of God in the midst of your storm. But look what happens next. See, sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, if you're like me in the midst of those storms, even though we know the promises of God, we panic. That's what they did too, verse 27. But I love it. It starts with a big biblical but, right? Everyone's like, oh, okay, the Paul said God's going to take care of it. We're all just going to sit here and enjoy the cruise. But when the 14th night came, hey, God's not acting fast enough, Paul. I thought you said everything's going to be good. We're still lost. We're still sinking. We're still going to be dead. 14th night came as we were driven about in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. A little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors for the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men remain on the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. I love that. Paul's like, look, I'm good. I'm going to Rome. 
If y'all want to come with me, you better stay here. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. See, God doesn't act fast enough. We start our own plans. We start taking control of our own future, our own life. That's what led me to the second truth. You want to do more than survive the storms of life. You want to thrive in them. Number one, you need to please trust in the promises of God. But number two, you need to obey the direction of God. Man, if you want to thrive amidst the storms of your life, in the midst of it, don't trust your own explanations. Don't try to understand things from your perspective. Obey God's direction. Submit to authority. Pray for others. Turn the other cheek. All those things don't make any sense. We're in the midst of panic. You want to thrive amidst the storms of life. Trust in the promises of God. But we need to obey the direction of God. As these sailors, after two weeks of God not acting fast enough for them, they started to make sense of things themselves and make their own plans. And Paul had to stop them. You better cut those things off or everyone's going to die. So the life rafts were thrown over. All the anchors were cut. And now there's just utter despair. Obey the direction of God. I was reminded of something Jesus said, John 14. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And obey what I give you. Can I ask you, where do you need to obey? Man, when finances get tough, the first thing we do is batten down the hatches. We stop having a mindset of generosity and meeting the needs of others and investing in the kingdom of God. We just start saving everything, hoarding everything just for a rainy day. When it seems like all of culture is against us, we want to fire back insult for insult. When we feel like we're losing control of culture, then we fight for, for control. Where do we need to obey? Where do you need to obey? Man, it's so hard to forgive people. We love to hold grudges. First thing, if we want to thrive amidst the storms of our life, trust in the promises of God. Number two, obey the direction of God. Let's go to number three. Look at verse 33. Talk about a mood killer, right? I mean, now everyone's doomed. There's no escape. There's no anchors. Like, they're just drifting powerlessly. Look at verse 33. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them to all take food saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. Not a hair from, my, from the head of any of you will perish. I love that. Everyone's hopeless and everyone's in despair. There's no life raft. There's no anchors. They're holding the boat together by ropes. Everyone's freaking out. Paul breaks out dinner. Everyone's lost except Paul. Hey, you know what? We should eat. You know who that reminded me of? God. Remember what King David said? That famous Psalm, Psalm 23. Let me ask you to turn there. It's one of my favorites. Not because it's famous. Because there's some real depth in here. Look what it says. Look what David knew about God. Psalm 23. Said this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in cream pastures. He leads me to side quiet waters. He restores my soul. It's easy to follow God when everything's good, right? Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I love that. 
David's like, I know there's times where God's going to make me walk through this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look what he says next. You ever notice this? Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Man, I'm surrounded by the bad guys. What's God do? Breaks out the mac and cheese. He's not panicking. David's like, man, I love that God's my shepherd when all hell's breaking loose on earth. God's breaking out nachos. God's like, hey, let's eat. I got this. Relax. Man, the very character trait that David said, man, I love that about God. Paul has, in the midst of his storm, all things look bad. Paul's like, hey, let's eat. Y'all haven't eaten in a long time. Verse 34, therefore I encourage you, we're back in Acts 27, therefore I encourage you to take some food for this for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Yeah, let's eat. These guys gotta be looking at him like, are you kidding me? We're gonna die. Paul said, trust me. I know a guy who did this once. Look what happened, verse 36. All of them were encouraged and they themselves also took food. Look at this, all of us in the ship were 276 persons and when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. A term they were encouraged, they were suddenly in good cheer, had a renewed confidence in their life so much that they're like, we not only believe God's gonna work, we believe God's gonna work soon. Chuck out all the extra food. Let me the third truth. Do you want to really thrive in the midst of the storms of your life? Do more than just survive it. Thrive in it. Trust in the promises of God. Obey the direction of God. Thirdly, encourage others with the peace of God. Man, when everything's breaking up in life, they're looking at us. When culture goes crazy, when everyone's rioting, everyone's picketing, everyone's quitting, everyone's freaking out, what's the church doing? What are Christians doing? See, in the midst of Paul's storm, everyone was losing their mind, not Paul. Paul's like, hey, let's eat. I'm not worried. God's got this. Hey, you eat too. He's encouraging them. He's empowering them. He's ministering to them. He's giving them hope. Number three, encourage others with the peace of God. I ask you, who do you think needs hope right now? Some in your life, they're going through a storm. They need food. They need someone to walk with them. Who do you know that needs hope? Maybe you need hope. Maybe you're like, Brian, I'm going through it. So often we don't always know what to say. People in the midst of their storms, they feel like everything's coming apart in their life. I think something I tend to share is Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Paul's like, I'm going to say it again because some of you don't believe me. Rejoice, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at this. As a result, the peace of God that surpasses all human comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where do you need that? Man, that peace of God that doesn't make any sense to anyone but you. Where do you need that? Or better yet, who in your life needs to hear that? 
You want to do more than survive the storms in life. You want to thrive. Number one, trust in the promises of God. Number two, you got to obey the directions of God. If you're wanting God to move, you're wanting God to act, do things God's way. Number three, encourage others with the peace of God. How can you be so relaxed here? God said he's got it. God said he's handle it. So I trust him. Here, have some food. Walk with me. Let's trust him together. Man, sometimes it's easier to trust God in a crowd. Keeps going, verse 39. When day came, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Casting off anchors, they left them in the sea while at the same time they were losing the ropes of the rudders, hoisting the foresail to the wind. They were heading for the beach, but striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to go to be broken up by the force of the waves. I mean, everything just hit the fan at this point. The boat's coming apart. Nothing's going to work. Verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. Yeah, sure way to die as a Roman soldier is if your prisoner escaped, you're going to die. Verse 43, but the centurion wanting to bring Paul safely through kept them from their intention, commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to the land and the rest should follow, some on planks, others on various things from the ship, and so it happened that they all were brought safely to land. Lesson number four. Rely on the providence of God. You know what I don't see in that passage? We're all hell's breaking loose on that boat and everything's falling apart and Roman soldiers are getting ready to kill all the prisoners. Do you know who's not freaking out? Paul. It's like, God said I'm making it to Rome. God says we're all making it to Rome. And God had it all worked out. Remember that consideration? Remember that favor? Remember that kindness in the Roman soldier's, Roman centurion's heart all the way back at the beginning of chapter 27, still there, even to this day. At this moment, after all that storm, the Roman centurion still is going to keep Paul safe. Remind me of another verse I learned as a child, Isaiah 40. It says, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He continues, he gives strength to the weary, to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youth grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with, like wings with eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not become weary. Wait on the Lord. I got to tell you, one of the hardest things in my life is that right there. In the midst of the storms of my life, waiting for God to do what God wants to do is the hardest thing to do. Rely on the providence of God. Wait on the Lord. King David said, I would have despaired. I would have just completely been done had I not believed that God would act. You want to do more than survive the storms of your life. You want to thrive and reflect Jesus in the midst of it. Trust in the promises of God. Obey the direction of God. Encourage others with the peace of God. Rely on the providence of God. And I have one more. We're going to go into chapter 28 a little bit. Look at this. I mean, now they're finally on land. You're like, oh, whew, okay. Now they get a little tropical paradise, right? Now Paul gets his break, right? Look at this, verse, tw- verse one of chapter 28, when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in, because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on its hand. I mean, Paul cannot get a break. I mean, really, at what point do we start thinking, man, I don't know, Paul, maybe God has abandoned you. 
Two plus years of all this kooky trial stuff, shipwrecked for more than two weeks after storm, and now you finally get safety and this poisonous snake attaches itself on your hand. Verse four, when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, undoubtedly this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Someone's mad at this dude. That's what they're saying. There's no way this bad luck follows anyone good. Verse five, however, he shook the creature off, his, off into the fire and suffered no harm. Sounds like Paul, right? I was thinking this week how different Paul is from a pro soccer player. Pro soccer player would be rolling around and waiting for that magic spray. Paul just shakes it off into the fire and keeps going. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down de- dead. But after they had waited a long time, everyone's watching him, right? When's he going to just swell up and pop? Look at it. After they waited a long time, after they were watching him, they saw nothing unusual happen to him. They changed their mind, began to say, oh, our bad. There's something special about this guy. Let me show you this last thing, verse seven then. Now in the neighborhood of that place, just when we're wondering, oh my, what's this God doing? Look at verse seven. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him after he had prayed and he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the land who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect and when they were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. Last reminder in the midst of your storm. Be ready to minister in the power of God. And you want to do more than just survive the storms of your life. You need to trust the promises of God. Obey the directions of God. Encourage others with the presence of God and the peace of God. Rely on the providence of God. And lastly, be ready in the midst of the storm of your life, to minister. You don't know what God is orchestrating. Be ready to minister in the power of God. I don't know what storm you have in life. I know some have storms at home. Some have storms at work. Some have storms raging in your own heart. I think there's a number of people who are just ready to give up. You feel like the the power of life is just pummeling you and pushing you along. You've thrown up your hands and you're getting ready to quit. I gotta tell you, I don't think we have very many role models on how to survive storms and not just survive them, but thrive in them. That's what I love about Acts chapter 27 because I think Paul gives us one. So what step do you need to take in the midst of the storm of your life? Maybe it's just as simple as trust in God's power and promise. Maybe in the midst of the storm in your life, you've grown disobedient. You're tired of waiting. You're going to take things into your own hands. Maybe reconsider that. Wait on the Lord. Maybe in the midst of your storm, maybe it's not even your storm, maybe it's someone else. But God needs you to encourage. Seems like when things get the worst in scripture, that's when God seems to do his best. Maybe you need to walk with someone in the midst of their storm. Maybe you just need to sit and wait hardest thing to do for me. Just sit and wait for God to work. I mean, Grandma sat and waited for years for God to work in me. Will you? Will you wait on the Lord?
And lastly, will you be ready to minister in the midst of your storm? Man, just, you look at Paul, he's had a rough three years, but each and every time God gave an opportunity, God, Paul was ready. Where can God use you? In the midst of your storm or as a result of your storm? I believe God is ever present, even in the midst of your hardest days. Paul believed that too. What step can you take this morning to not just survive your storm, but thrive and reflect Jesus in the midst of it? Let's pray. Ah, Jesus, again, we're here because we, we do believe in your power, God, many of us. We do believe in who you are and what you've done in our lives, but God, we confess there's times where we panic, there's times where we freak out, there's times where we lose faith and we go our own way. So God, I pray for people here in this congregation and online, God, in the midst of our storms, will you help us not to panic? God, help us to want to do more than survive it. Help us to want to thrive and reflect you through it. God, lead us, direct us, give us faith, give us courage. God, even despite our kooky culture, even despite our broken families, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because we know, God, that you are with us and in control of all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.